Ah, yes. Legendary catch in the 2011 Vanier Cup as Ben (laughs) O'Connor over the middle on second and long catches 60 levels win for an 18-yard gain to prevent Boris Beattie from kicking a field goal that would have downed us in regulation. Yeah, suck it, Beattie. (laughs) How's he doing on your your everything? Because he's a bit of a weirdo. Uh, oh, Beatty? Yeah, just like he's, he just seems like he's outside the norm. Like for better or yeah. for worse, he's just very different. Yeah, I uh, let me see. His punting numbers are not great. I was just updating them yesterday. I got tired of charting, so I went back into the punting and just changed up how I made it easier on myself in the long run. He is 23 yards below average so far this season, ninth best in the league. Wow. His kickoffs wow. are ridiculous, though, right? His oh kickoffs are—they're like, like not even on the same planet. Yeah, yeah, he's so much, so much, uh, so much, su- such a bigger leg on that than anybody else, right? Yeah, it's so so weird that you can boom one thing and not crush the other, though. Like I've always been amazed by that. Yeah, and where is he in the field goal department here, Westwood? He is seventh in field goals. His average field goal attempt this season is 42 yards. That is nuts. <laughs> that is nuts. Uh, well, like, I'm, I'm just going to keep Brett all Lothar's of this. average is 35. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll keep all of this in. I'll just bleep out your F-bomb. But we'll do it uh, with the organic open uh, so that people know that we like each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love in broadcasting when that's just like the, hey, let's do the smooth intro together. Like we've already been talking. It's like, no, we're actually just talking because like we... <laughs> We don't, we don't just talk to each other when we're on the air. <laughs> All right, let's fire it up. Shaq Evans, 61-yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back. Bates to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Toward the five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it, and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? That clip right there actually just gave me deja vu of the Tim White touchdown that was just scored on Labor Day. If I were to make a call for that Tim White touchdown, it would have been into the end zone, even though it was about 15 yards short of the end zone. Hi! Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the breakdown, everyone. Thank you for being here. It is myself, Marshall Ferguson, at TSN underscore Marsh. It is at DT on SC. Make sure you give him a follow there on all of your social media platforms of choice. Derek Taylor on the other side, of course, from CKRM out there in Regina, the Sports Cage, voice of the Riders, and many, many more great things. TSN Edge, he's got all sorts of fun stuff going on right now. And this is the only place in Canada where you can hear two play-by-play guys act like analysts, talk like analysts, and it's not about who's right or wrong, Derek. It's about who makes the best argument, right? That's absolutely right. And sometimes who makes the loudest one? Sometimes that's just the way to go, right? <laughs> this is true. Uh, how did you enjoy Labor Day out there in Saskatchewan? I know that it was uh, a bit of a dud offensively for the Riders, but it was still a hell of a game back and forth. I, I just quickly here, because I could talk about this for a long time, but I don't want to. I hate when people watch a defensive football game and they're like, oh, it's mm. trash. Like, I feel like there needs to be a Venn diagram of 
good football games, bad football games, offensive football games, defensive football games. There is a world in these Venn diagrams where there's an overlap in good football game, defensive football game, depending on what side you're on. But for me, I was watching how physical that Winnipeg-Saskatchewan game was from start to finish. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Cody looks a little off, a little happy feet, missing some throws here and there, a couple of drops and what. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, and they are like Big Hill is striking. Jefferson and yeah. Jeff Goat are all over him. The inside is getting past. I'm like, this is really good defense. Like, I hate that people are looking at this and going, ugh, God, what a what a brutal game in Saskatchewan. I'm like, no, Winnipeg's really good on defense. What was it eight seven and half nine eight and half? It was super tight. I and you and you're right. Like it, there were parts of it that were exciting. There were parts of it that were frustrating. The roughing the kicker that Mark Leggio <laughs> drew, which was just straight malarkey, and we saw it at the time. And I couldn't help but on radio to say how ridiculous it was that Leggio's chasing down a missed field goal. He runs into a wall named Mac Henry, goes flying because he, he's 177 pounds, and the referee throws a flag. So, but it was it was the entire range of emotions, right? There was good yeah. stuff for the riders. There was obviously terrible stuff for the riders, from my perspective. Uh, and there was there was just everything. I can't believe the officials are calling this. Oh man, did did the riders ever get away with this? What a great catch that was! What an almost great play that was! And and just the the intricate parts of even trying to figure out why would Cody throw that ball when the safety is literally right there? Uh, why would Cody throw that ball into cover four? Because the, there was no way that ball was getting there. There was so much in it for everybody and sure scoring for most of it. But uh, yeah, it was honestly, I was very entertained. I hated the result. Um, hated having to talk about how good Winnipeg looked in the post game show, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I got to say. Yeah, there was a little bit of everything in that one. I think the thing that I appreciated the most aside from the defense was the sideline shots of Cody throughout the game. And it's not because, you know, I love to see Mm. TSN piling on when he's frustrating, but let's be real about this. In a CFL season, Riders fans need to realize whether it is 14 games over 16 weeks or if it's 18 games over 21 weeks, there's going to be a point of adversity. And the CFL season is not about whether or not you hit adversity. It's about what you do with it. And the Riders just got their first hint of adversity from a team that, yeah, obviously it's sour because it's the team that if there's one that you can choose that you don't want to be better than you, it's those guys who just beat you on that day in your house. I get it. It seems a lot worse than it was because of who it was and when it was. The reality is, would you rather learn that lesson in week five against the Bombers to inspire you for the rest of your season? Or would you rather that happen against the Ottawa Red Blacks in week one like it did to Edmonton? Because that thing that happened in week one doesn't mean shit to Edmonton at this point. They do not. They're just like, whatever. That was dumb. Week yeah. one, who cares? We had stuff going on and it was start of a new season. For Saskatchewan, this is going to fuel them for the remainder of the season. Because any time that they sit on their backside at a practice, Craig Dickinson's going to go, hey, guys, how do you want to play against Winnipeg in the West final? Do you want to host Winnipeg in the West final? Do you want to be able to go and get yourself redemption for what happened on Labor Day? Hey, Cody, you think you're the MOP? Well, guess what? Winnipeg said that you're not, and they acted like you're not. So why don't you go out here and prove it every day for the rest of the regular season? I think this is the fuel they need that can drive them towards a great cup, honestly. And I think yeah. it's, it's okay to have adversity. It's just a matter of whether or not the people that are in that locker room are going to be fueled by it. And I believe they will. 
Yeah, my partner on the radio, Luke Mullender, likes to say you win or you learn. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one or the other. Uh, for, for me, I kind of looked back at the three games and went, oh, man, if the kicker makes those kicks week one against BC, they're 0-1, and then they would learn from that. And as fans, we don't necessarily take away from the lo- the wins what we should going forward, right? As a guy who tries to analyze the game to some extent and to make money analyzing the game from wagering on certain spots. Uh, I, I, I do take away from that and go, Ooh, there was, there was this from the BC game and well, the Ottawa game. Well, okay. Well, you only beat the worst team in the league by this much. So hmm, what about that? The Hamilton game was, Oh, they lumped a, a, a decent yet totally injured team. You have to take a little bit from all of that to make your own. And uh, yeah, I, they are going it, to, it's a slap in the face, right? The losing is the slap in the face. Yeah. You know, it'd be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, BC almost came back. Ha, ha, ha. But this is whap yeah. right across the cheek from, uh, from Willie Jefferson and company. So uh, the banjo bowl, between us, I'm a little nervous about the banjo bowl. And that's fair. That's fair. But again, it's, it's one of those things where I look at it in the grand scheme of the regular season. Yes, you don't want to give up both of these games because it matters for home field for the playoffs. And a West final at home would be much more valuable, I think, than having Labor Day at home. But I also believe that, you know, maybe I'm looking at this too positively. And there's a lot of writers fans who I understand would never come close to seeing things this way. If you lose both of those two games and it inspires you to keep your nose to the grindstone for the rest of the year and to focus on the little things and you're constantly there's this bug in the back of your head that's blue and gold if that's what comes out of losing two games here against winnipeg that can only make you better going into the playoffs for when you inevitably face winnipeg again because let's be real about this winnipeg saskatchewan two best teams in the west edmonton maybe nipping at some heels calgary too bad too hard back in the in the standings they're done uh, bc probably not going to be able to, to fight through and get up into those ranks, despite the fact that they have back-to-back games against Ottawa. That probably says to me, middle of the season, they go on a bit of a nosedive when they go through the tough teams in the West. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this and saying, in the East right now, barring what might happen with Montreal having those four games against Ottawa, you're essentially looking at Toronto-Hamilton being the best and Montreal diving into that two spot, potentially, and kicking one of Ham- you know Hamilton or Toronto into the three. And in the West, I just see it as Winnipeg and Saskatchewan being one and two. And the whole season is about who gets themselves prepared for the ultimate battle royale that is going to be the West final. Because I just view this as being very similar to 2019, where we know, we know they're going to match up. We know that this is destiny, that this is going to happen. So first week of December, I believe it's going to be everything that happens between now and then is an opportunity to learn, get better and get yourself in a better spot for that West final where you're either going to be in Saskatchewan or you're going to be in Winnipeg. And, uh, and I just feel like this week is part of that. that. That's part of the journey. And it's, to me, it's kind of the fun part of the CFL is that, you know, the NFL starting up this week. And you can say that sometimes in the division, there's storylines that build, you know, oh the Steelers don't like the Ravens and ooh they play twice a year. And, you know, the bills is, is Tua going to play against Josh Allen for the next 10 years or how's Zach Wilson going to look and all these things for yeah. me, what do people like watching in their free time? A lot of people, it's it's drama series, or it's mini series, or it's Netflix, or it's great. The great thing about football, and specifically CFL football, to me, that I don't think people are really in tune with as to why I think this this plays into why people who are addicted to the CFL, like us and, and hardcore fans listening to this podcast, I think part of the reason you're really addicted to it is that when you get great storylines like Fajardo versus Willie Jefferson, or Big Hill against William Powell, or Jason Moss, 
going up against, uh, you know, Richie Hall. Like when you, when you understand those chess pieces and those, it becomes a drama series. And now you get it three, four, five times a year, all leading to the climax of the entire show, which is the West final or the gray cup, or it's like tune in next week when, you know, it's almost like a tease for the bachelor or the bachelorette where you're saying coming up, we're going to have this. I just view that there's, there's drama building between these two teams, there's storylines building. And that's special. That that's great to have for the league. Oh yeah. Every bit of that. Absolutely. It's, it's fantastic. And the Saskatchewan Winnipeg one has that extra element of Zach Caleros. Yes. Man, man, did he look good again? Um, When you put quarterbacks, when you put elite level quarterbacks behind elite level protection with average to above average receivers, man, they can really do some damage. Uh, Here's, there's one thing I, uh, I heard this week on my show and it always bothers me because it's a numbers thing. Well, it's hard to beat a team back to back. Or it's hard to beat a team three times. Uh, from 2004 to 2019, I went back and got these results. Uh, the team that wins the first game, okay? The team that wins the first game in these traditional Labor Day matchups. Yep. There have been 45 of them in that time span. How many times do you think they win the second game as well? How many times do you think teams do the double over, over teams in these traditional Labor Day rivalries? Uh, 45. I would say 65, 70% of the time, the team that wins the first game wins the second. Now you're making me do math. It's uh, 25 out of 45, so five out of nine, so 56%. So it's really, it's not, not, yeah, it's not, but it's not particularly hard to, to win both. It's actually, I mean, this isn't necessarily predictive, but it's not hard to win both of these games. That's a good point, though. yeah, if you are Hamilton going back to Toronto, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Well, there was what was there from Toronto in that game that makes makes us think they can beat us. Like yeah. they held us off the board in the first quarter, but then we just ran them, just ran them. Uh, Edmonton and Calgary, like Calgary is a betting favorite in this game, and I don't know if it's pricing in Bo Levi Mitchell, but how do you watch that game and think that Calgary is a favorite over Edmonton in Edmonton? Yeah. I, I don't get Edmonton. And this week, I was very happy for Edmonton and, and Hamilton looked like the teams I thought they would look like this whole season. And it was a little rough in the beginning with the Edmonton dumps the most awkward loss to Ottawa in week one and then <laughs> doesn't look particularly good in week two. But, man, a win, COVID, a win. And Edmonton might be, uh, might be clear of their season win total before that three-game disaster-rama on the road in November. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, we want to spend a second here to just to thank our good sponsors and friends at Fox 40. Get back in the game with Fox 40. Visit fox40shop.com to shop coaching boards, gear, and more. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off your order. I was actually out walking my dog Sky today and I saw there was a high school football practice happening and I went over and I actually knew one of the coaches. I didn't know that he was coaching that team, but I was wandering past. I saw a football team out there. It was just nice to see high school age kids out on a field playing football again with helmets and shoulder pads and whatnot, getting ready for their season. So I went over just to watch for a second. I knew one of the coaches because he was a coach at McMaster when I was there. And I said, hey, do you guys need anything for coaching boards and whistles? And stuff? I was like, we got this promo code with uh, with Fox 40. If you want. He's like, oh, man, we were just about to put a shipment in. That's awesome. That'll save us. So if you're a high school coach, use that CFP15 again at fox40shop.com to get yourself all set up. Uh, let's go back just before we get into all the real true Labor Day classics, if you want to call them that, and look at you and I have been the last two weeks really interested in Vernon Adams Jr. DT and trying to mm-hmm. figure out Will this change? Is this sustainable? What are they doing? How are they going to lean on different parts of this? And 
I, I mean, part of me just thinks that Ottawa was sloppier than normal and inevitably had to make the change to Dominique Davis and all the rest. It feels crazy to be talking about this game being last week when it's almost Friday again, just because of the way that the yeah. week has shook out, but that's the nature of Labor Day. But just for a second here, what was your, your kind of one major takeaway from that game that you think holds some weight for people here, you know, when it's five days later? I'm tempering this because I don't think Ottawa is particularly good or a particular challenge. They've lost more defensive players through injury uh, for this game. But I just took away, look what Vernon Adams can do when he sets his feet. He can, he can throw 18 to 23 for 288 and four touchdowns. Look what he does when he's, when he's relaxed and he's calm. And you're not going to get that kind of calm when you play a fully healthy Hamilton team or when Charleston Hughes and that Toronto front get unleashed on you. But against Ottawa, okay, you, you got it done. That's, that's, that's very good. Your completion percentage is up to 58 on the year. That's very nice. Take that and go, hey, when I'm, when I'm whatever the state of relaxation is, when I'm relaxed, when my feet are calm, when my mind is calm, I can do some things in this league. I was, I was impressed with that, but I temper that with, okay, yes, but it was against Ottawa. Right, yeah, and I think that, that's the challenge that people will have in getting over the top of this. I, the one thing that jumped out to me was first down carries for William Stanback in this, and obviously they get up big and they start kind of running the big man a little bit, but like yeah. in, this, in this game on first down, they were essentially 50% run, 50% pass. It was 51.4% that they were throwing the football on first down, but when they were running it, and not, I mean, obviously, <laughs> aside from the handoff to Armando Sewell, uh, which was an interesting little dive into the end zone, um, they did give William Stanback 11 first down carries. And when you have as many first downs as they did in the game, that's going to make a lot of sense. But I mean, there was 11 to him, Jezrin Antwi, which it's fun to see him getting sent into the mix. Uh, Antwi is getting some nice touches there and some good production in limited time uh, out of the University of Calgary, for those that are familiar. I always, I was amazed, DT, when he was forced to go the route of the regional combine when I was covering the right. draft. He got invited to a regional and not to the national. I was like, what are we doing? Like, I've watched him play. I've seen how athletic he, he doesn't need to. And sure enough, he goes to the regional and tests well enough and plays well enough in the one-on-ones. They're like, yeah, you can come to the big show. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you should have been there in the first place. It didn't make any sense, especially because they were low that year on running backs. I was like, man, I just, it's one of those things that you notice when you watch more. But yeah, they, they gave three to Antwi. They gave 11 to stand back. And then there were two called runs for Vernon Adams Jr. as well on first down. One of them came with 742 in the first quarter, the other with 836 in the second quarter. So they were mixing, they were matching, they had different personnel groupings in, the run pass splits were pretty even. Uh, he was still chucking it deep, but he was also taking some of the efficient stuff underneath. But again, it's like when they're at their best, and again, however you want to view Ottawa, whether they make people look great or whether Ottawa or Montreal actually was great in this game, they hit on their home runs. Like they hit mm. down down the sideline, stepping up in the pocket, boom, Gino Lewis touchdown down the left side, you know, right sideline, wheel route, boom, score on that. It's like when they can just punch you in the face once or twice a game, Montreal, they just feel so different because as soon as you get scared about, oh my God, everything's vertical, everything's vertical, draw, stand back, run over two people, 20 yard gain. Yeah. You're like, okay, this is the balance. This is the potential that they have offensively. So for me, that was what stuck out was the balance, the multiplicity, the variety they were using, and then hitting on those home runs that we always care about with Montreal. Yeah, and and I mean, perhaps the, some respect for Ottawa. They they lost another player, another starter on that defense. That's now one, two, three, four starters from that defense that are 
that are injured and out when they didn't when Stanley Mapongo went on the six game injured list. Yeah. There's not much you can do when you start losing when you lose both your corners and your veteran field half and defensive end. Like it's tough. If if Avery Williams goes out, they they're I mean and Avery's not injured. But if that if a guy like that were to go out, just right. Let's just fast forward them to 2022 if that happens. <laughs> it, it, they've just had so much bad luck to, to go with all the other things for the Red Blacks this year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking here quickly at uh, Jake Winicky versus Gino Lewis to see who has the higher production grade from this game. And it's not by much, but it is Winicky. So, yeah, he's um, he's been really, really productive for them. And I think that's going to continue throughout the season. But that's enough on Montreal and Ottawa because that obviously was not the marquee game of the week. We already broke down a little bit here on, on Saskatchewan Winnipeg. Is there anything else that you want to throw in that you just you think people should be aware of? Uh, I'm uh, well, the, the rematch we've had, uh, Ed Ganey and Luchez Purifoy miss a couple of days of practice yeah. slash be limited at practice. That's going to be a real trouble spot. If uh, I think Luchez Purifoy is among the best defensive backs, in the entire CFL. And for me, the best one on the riders, they don't have him. He made some, that guy is not particularly big, but man, did he bring a load coming downhill in that game, I think four times in the first quarter, he just dropped somebody. God, there! I love everything about Luchez Purifoy, and if he can't play, uh, that is that is a real, real loss. Yeah, he he's a really talented player. How would you compare him to what Creston Butler was at field half for them a couple of years ago in terms of their impact on the game? That's a great question. I don't – I'm trying to remember because I took – when I took over, Butler was going to be the – the corner and then he got released in training camp. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, I only, I I only be- asked that because in 2017, yeah. I remember covering a playoff game between Ottawa. Uh, I believe that was 2017 between Ottawa and Saskatchewan because that was the year that Saskatchewan came to Ottawa, beat the Riders, went to Toronto and lost to Cody Fajardo uh, on yeah. the quarterback sneak, right? Coming in for Ricky Ray on the goal. And when Deron Carter comes in in the fourth quarter as a defensive back because an injured Nick Marshall, over, oh, what a what a memory. Uh, <laughs> that, that, was, that was a weird playoff game. I was standing on the sidelines for that game. Bear Woods was actually playing crazy. Uh, but yeah, it was um, for me looking at, uh, you know, the, the 2017 setup that they had and having Creston Butler, I graded out all of the defensive backs in essentially the games that Deron Carter had played because on CFL.ca, they said, what do you want to write about? I said, well, people find Deron Carter potentially playing defensive back the most interesting thing that's happening right now with this Riders team going into this game. Mm-hmm. So, so I just said, well, how does he actually stack up? How many times has he been targeted? And how has he done in coverage? And all those kind of things. So I wrote about it. I don't know if there was anything of consequence that came out of it because I don't know nearly as much about defensive back play as I do about quarterback, receiver, running back, offensive line play. So, but I remember going through it and right next to, uh, you know, some of the talented people that were at at corner, President Butler graded it really, really highly when I was watching that stuff and seeing the number of times he was around the football and how quick he was to react. And for me, it feels like Purifoy, to your point, is a very similar player. Just in, Mm. he's always around the football. He strikes against Winnipeg. You have to have defensive backs that want to be involved in tackling. Because if you don't, then if your linebackers don't get the job done, you're already thinner there than you should be because of the injury, of course, at the start of the year to Larry Dean. That That's when it gets tough against Winnipeg. That's where they wear you down in the fourth quarter, like they did to Calgary in 2019, like they did to Saskatchewan, arguably, and, and certainly what they did to Hamilton in the Great Cup. Because that's Winnipeg's formula. you got to have people that want to play all four quarters and be physical. So, yeah, Purifoy, he's an important part of that equation uh, for sure. Let's uh, Let's move on here to Hamilton. And Toronto, I was talking with Ben Grant from X's Nargos about this game earlier on this evening. And uh, my, my first takeaway was 
did the first quarter happen? Uh, because yeah. this, this it was a weird game that it just flew by in the first quarter. And I think part of that was that when I look at Toronto offensively, what they did in that first, and sometimes you see this where, you know, a team gets dominated in the first quarter, DT, you know this, and whether you're calling a game or whatever, and it feels like it took 20 minutes and you turn to your partner in the booth and you go, did we just do a, a whole quarter? Because it does not feel like it. But mm-hmm. Toronto began the game with a completion that goes for eight yards, right? Then they go uh, run with John White. That's a gain of one. Nick Arbuckle sneaks it forward. They try to run it again. That one goes for one yard. So now you've got a rush of one yard, a sneak for two, another rush for one, and then they throw the interception where Eric Rogers falls down and, and great play by Carriel Brooks, being able to track that thing down, not get called for pass interference, tap his toes on the sideline. So he makes the interception. And from that point forward, they come back in on the field. They try to run John White again, two yards again. Well, now they try to throw it underneath. It's only, uh, you know, zero yards in the air to John White, a little safe screen pass. He runs for 13. Then they go back to John White to run again, two yards. Like there's a pattern developing here, right? Where in that first quarter, I think Toronto really wanted to try and run like they did with DJ Foster against the Bombers in week three. They couldn't do it. It's the same mm. thing Hamilton did to stand back into Montreal back in week number four, where it's just Hamilton's front somehow is evolving, learning, being more fit, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't understand the reason, but they're doing really well against the run all of a sudden. And that really limited what Toronto could do in this game. And I think it will in the next one too. Yeah. And that's what, that's where I, I fall back on the establishing the run is malarkey, like just establish yeah. the pass and, and the run will take care of itself. William Stanback can roll up points in the fourth quarter when they lead by three touchdowns in the game against Ottawa. And he's the one guy who breaks a hundred yards rushing this week. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, I, what I didn't get from that game was if DJ Foster is ripping off 10 yards a carry yeah. average 10 yards a carry, uh, I was heavy on the John White under for the reason of how do you not give DJ Foster the ball a lot more? And I know they got it to him in the past game and such, but um, I, I like John White fine, but you know, 10 yards a carry. Yeah. 10. Ten. Yeah. ten, yes. ten. <laughs> so ten. Uh, the longest rush of this game for Toronto, John White, 11 yards. Yeah. Okay. Longest run. Now think about that. You go from averaging on 10 carries, 10 yards per carry to your longest rush of the entire game being 11 yards. DJ Foster had a rush of nine yards. He had a rush of three yards and he had a rush of two yards. And again, it's, I really did think of you and your running back take during this game because I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter who's in there. The idea that you are just trying to run the football, it worked very effectively against Winnipeg, but it was very Mm -hmm. obvious halfway through the first quarter in this game. Okay. This is not going to get any better. And I, I actually haven't looked at this, but I'll look right now in terms of the run pass splits per quarter and see how Ryan Dinwiddie's play calling changed because I would have to imagine he would have gone significantly more pass happy. So he was 53% pass in the first quarter in the second quarter. Uh, it was 68%. So yeah, that was a bit of, that was a bit of a break glass in case of emergency. Hey, let's start throwing it. And then obviously they get down third quarter. They threw it 76% of the time. And yeah. in the and in the fourth quarter, they threw the ball ninety six percent of the time. <laughs> so yeah, trailing in the fourth is where it really shows, right? Right. So that's going to throw off and skew all of your data on that stuff. But it really is like they came into that game wanting it feels like to run the ball fifty percent of the time, first or second down. And Hamilton just said no. And when they had to start going to the air, increasingly, right? It's seventy six percent and eighty two percent. It's ninety five percent. 
once they started having to do that, I mean, it, I'm not going to say that it forced them out of their comfort zone because it's the CFL. Everybody knows how to throw. So it's ridiculous to say they didn't want to throw the ball that much when you got DeVaris Daniels and Eric Rogers and, 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 but it did feel like they were throwing it so often that they were, they were, they were pushing a little bit. It felt like they were out of their comfort zone the whole game. And then of course you just have the, it's like Frankie Williams returns the punt for the touchdown. Well, that puts added pressure yeah. on you. You got to strike quickly now. Okay. Well now it's Simone Lawrence pick six and the, well, now that puts pressure on you. Now you got Dane Evans throwing a dime to Tim. Well, that puts pressure. And it's just increasingly, it was like, okay, I think we can get back into this game. Oh, now it's going to be tougher. Ooh, now it really seems like it's fringe. Yeah, this game is over. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like three big plays that just kind of sucked the life out of the Argos in this one. Yeah, and you said some stuff in there that makes me go, people remember the passing and they go, well, we should be establishing the run because while we were passing the ball in the fourth quarter, it wasn't working. Like, well, yes, because you have no other option. Yeah. And they know that as well as you do. But uh, I have... Um, I, I do a thing with uh, Coach Dickinson here in Saskatchewan. So success on first down is five yards. And that's pretty pretty common among coaches, five yards. Toronto gets five yards running the ball on first down a little over 40% of the time. They get it passing the ball on first down a little over 60% of the time. Uh, I just pulled up. I wanted to uh, do uh, if they avoid, if they get into second and short, so seven plus yards, a third of the time with the run and half the time with the pass, they get into second and short. And you go, Okay, I get the, let's all just look at the available data and go, you know what? We need to throw the ball more than we do. I know it's a passing league, but it needs to be even more so. And even in the early stage, and I get there are ripple effects to being able to run the ball, but the ripple effect of running the ball with John White for two yards is you're in second and eight, and now you're totally pooched. Yeah. So I get establishing, I get the thought of establishing a run, and it sounds great, but. If you need Winnipeg in the Saskatchewan game, had a, had great success with uh, the fourth quarter, Andrew Harris three yards, then Zach would convert second and seven. Or Timmy Brady on the run to the Super Bowl was a third down monster. Third and long was nothing for Timmy Brady on the run to the Super Bowl. You go, yeah, if your quarterback, your quarterback can mask some stuff, but if three yards is good enough for you on first down, you're putting yourself in a in a real bad spot. And that's where I, I wanted more, but I maybe wanted it in different spots for the Argos in this game. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, one thing that jumped out to me as well when it comes to the style that they're playing, the personnel and the groupings and all that kind of junk is, um, I, I didn't realize this until I did the research on it, but I took every snap that all of these teams have played so far throughout the first five weeks, and I looked at the personnel groupings that we're in. So when I look at Hamilton, they're playing the game differently than a lot of other teams in the league are they're playing with a fullback in the formation about 43.8% of the time. And the reason that that's oh, crazy wow. is the rest of the teams in the league DT are essentially playing 3%, you know, 5%, 8%, 43% of the time tells me that Nikola Kalinic is part of their base package. They're still going five wide, but maybe because they don't have Braylon Addison, Devere Posey, maybe because Brandon Banks isn't being as effective. They've just decided, okay, Sean Thomas Erlington is going to be alongside Nikola Kalinic. And then we're going to go with a collection of three or four receivers that we're rotating through. And, you know, Dunbar's come out nicely for them and Tim White's look good. And I, I just feel like they are doing this so different. They're 21% above the league average in terms of snaps with a fullback in the game right now. And Kalinich is not getting a ton of targets and touches, but he's in there a lot more than other teams are using fullbacks, which I find interesting because at what point, do they start forcing the hand of defenses where an extra bigger body is coming in and then they're kind of limiting 
the the defensive backs or the linebackers in space and they're trying to create one-on-one matchups. I feel like that's part of what Tommy Condell is kind of shaping for Hamilton's opponents in the second half of the season. Yeah, I wonder, are they setting the table for Jake Burt's inevitable CFL debut? Because yeah. that would be that'd be very interesting. If if you can, and this is one of the things with with football, right? If you can make your opponent change in some fashion, if you can make them go bigger or make them go smaller, well, you can respond by going smaller. And if you can do something different than the rest of the league, you're in, you're in a great spot. Uh, 2018, they went they went seven man protection so often, and Masoli just cut people up with it in that. Uh, he then dissed me when I asked about it in 2019 because apparently that's <laughs> Jeremiah Masoli. But they cut people apart with that, and they were doing it so much more often than everybody else. Like, hey, we're zagging when you guys are zigging, and it's this is looking great. Uh, they also apparently don't care who runs the football for them. Like, they don't. Brandon Banks had had the most carries and the most yards well, when this... you had three running backs on the roster. That was yeah. that was fun. So what I think that was to me is that their tackle play, I think, is still concerning. And so what they ended up doing was that whole that that speed sweep, that jet sweep series. And they ran a little bit of it in Montreal, but that package expanded this week where they actually showed the quarterback counter off of it as well. So now you've got Speedy B crossing face at full speed. The timing in the mesh is great, but it's Speedy B crossing face. It's Sean Thomas Erlington going, you know, left to right. And if you decide to keep it, it can be show speedy, show the back, and then pull a guard. And now Dane's getting pulled for a run. And they did call that in the game as well. I'm not sure if the guard actually pulled, but they called the quarterback run off of it. So the the reason that you use that for people that aren't familiar is if you want to slow down defensive ends because you don't really want your tackles to have to work every play because they're not really, uh, you know, they're not Chris Van Ziles and Stanley Bryant's of the world. Then what you do is you run people horizontally and you make the defensive ends freeze for a second wondering because they might be getting red or they might have somebody running to them or away from them or there might be a guard pulling and it's just it creates it, it's one of those things and I know this because you know we talked in, a, in last week's show about that game that I had my first ever start at Windsor where uh, we were, you know, I completed 16 passes or whatever in a row, just like uh, Jake Mayer did for Calgary against Winnipeg and I said well of course I did they gave me the easiest throws on the planet in that same game to get our running game going, we ran a similar fly sweep series. And the point of that was to slow down the pass rush and to help a young quarterback have a more established pocket on passing downs. So I'm familiar with it. It looks very, very, uh, you know, almost high schoolish. I want to say, obviously with much better athletes, but the, the general idea of that is slow down the defensive ends, help your offensive tackles. And I think that's why speedy got so many rushing touches because they just kept running it because it kept working. He he kept getting to the edge and getting outside. Yeah, I mean, if it's going to work and it's another way, if anyone can get Brandon Banks the ball and try to unlock him this season, he it is it is strange with Brandon Banks and his uh, his output this season. So any way to get him the ball more, uh, the five carries, I, I, I'm just I would love to. I got to pull them up and see them whether if they're handoffs or they should be using the pop pass or, or what it's practicality. And, you know, if, if you have a handoff, you can have a fumble, but if you just pop it up in the air and the guy runs right into it, you can have an incompletion instead. And I gotta, I gotta see how Hamilton's been doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's uh, flip the script here because our internet connection is awful for whatever reason tonight into uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, the last game of the week. And this one was fun, man. It was back and forth tied at the end of the third quarter, Trevor Harris going for three ninety eight or whatever it was. And they got Ellingson a little bit more involved. I still don't feel like they're hitting on all cylinders. They're still, it's funny. They throw for three ninety eight, and you feel like Edmonton still has more potential, which I don't know if we could say that about a lot of other teams and their passing attacks. Hey, you went for 400, you threw four touchdown passes, but it feels like you could still be better. 
Yeah, you've thrown six before in your career, Trevor. What's wrong? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're without two of their starting receivers, right, because of the COVID protocols. They didn't have uh, Tavon Smith. They didn't have Shy Ross. Uh, I don't – didn't Armonte Edwards not play in that game as well? Like, that's – Yeah, no. Those are some of their top six receivers. Mike Jones was the star of the game, and we won't often say that, but four grabs for 107 – Walker, Ellingson, Ernest Edwards, Jalen Tolliver. Like they're they're missing a lot of their stud receivers in that game. And they still put four and four on the Calgary Stampeders, who uh we talked about this on the cage. Calgary's done, right? Like they're done. They're 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 not making the playoffs in the West. No, no, I there's it's yeah. not even that there's not enough time left. It's that I Bo can do all the chasing that he wants. He's not catching Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. And I think Edmonton is probably still going to be better head to head, especially if they end up sweeping here Labor Day in the rematch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's Calgary gets Saskatchewan three times. That's real tough scheduling. It's not quite, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite Toronto gets Hamilton four times, but it's still pretty rough on them. Uh, the Elks, Man, this is the Elks team I kind of thought that we'd see all season long, and it took a while to get there, and you start to doubt yourself when they go 0-2. But, man, Wilder ground this one down at the end, had a big run in the fourth quarter as they're trying to run out the clock. Edmonton's got a lot of pieces, and if they can keep you know defenses at bay through that offensive line, which has undergone some changes throughout the offseason, through injuries, and then even in season now, Edmonton – Apart from that three-game murder, murderous stretch that they've foisted upon themselves with the COVID, they're going to be a real problem come playoff time. Yeah, I, I wonder how much that takes out of them down the stretch. Yep. I really do, because I, I think there's something to that. But, you know, outside of the COVID stuff, I would say this as well. We don't say his name a whole lot on this podcast because we don't talk about running backs a lot because we don't believe that running backs make a large difference in games. But James Wilder Jr. is making a difference. He is running through tackles. He is... You know, the, the catch that he had in the flats squaring up and being able to run through the defender and dive to the cone, it's like he is, for all the things that you might feel about James Wilder Jr., and I know for myself, like, he is so brash and so out there. And he's to me, he's difficult to like. And I think there's two schools of thought in the CFL when you're dealing with James Wilder Jr. It's either I love him because of who he is or he's difficult to like because of who he is and the way that he carries himself and the get wilder and all that stuff. And for me... It's difficult to really fall in love with what he is about in the, in the grand scheme of things. But on the field, there is no denying that he is making them a significantly better team. And I do like the way that he plays the game. I think it's yeah. fun that he creates himself as a character and he tries to be this like comic book guy that, you know, is a superhero and posing after every play and all that. But I, I do think that they are better off for having him at this point. And at times where I didn't anticipate this at all, DT, coming into the year, at times where they're passing attacks. Oh, no. At, at times where their passing attack has struggled, what Jamie Elizondo has done is pull back and go, okay, let's get back to basics. Let's give it to James. And then he just saves them with like r- turning a four-yard gain into eight yards or turning a six-yard gain into 12 yards. And he's had so many of these little moments where he's really earned my respect back through this part of the season because the distant memory of him with the Toronto Argonauts being an effective runner to me was like, since then it was wrestling and it was, I want out of my contract and it was all this stuff. I'm like, I want to see that guy get on the field and grind away and earn the respect. And he's done that over and over again this season. Yeah, like he and Stanback are the running backs that make a difference this season. It's and it's great to watch. And people, people kind of thought this is this to roll back to a betting thing. He was 20 to one at one point to win the rushing title. And I looked at Edmonton and I thought, well, they're probably going to win some games. And Wilder, when he's blocked for. 
that 2017 season in Toronto, he he got yards before contact and he rolled up on teams. Like he just crushed them. And then all of a sudden the yards before contact disappear and people go, well, James Wilder sucks at football. Well, getting hit in the backfield sucks at football. Like that's, that's what this is. So when, when you give him some room to work with, he can, he, it's a big dude and he brings a load and he can move and he can catch. We remember the 1000, 1000 talk from back in the day. Uh, that's good stuff. And it's a, it's a valuable piece and 12 targets in the first game. You go, Oh yeah, right. He, he can catch the ball a lot. <laughs> and uh, there should be a lot more of that to come. The league leader in rushing by 20 yards over stand back. And then it's a, uh, it's a it's a mile back to anybody else who's only played four games. Yeah, interesting. I, I I do wonder what the gap is for those two because the eye test says to you that they're above everybody else. But if the stats actually read that out by the end of the year, that would be the rare time that those two things actually seem to line up, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's and those guys are. I mean, there'll be fewer opportunities maybe for Wilder in the run game coming. I think there's always going to be room for stand back in the run game with how we've talked about Vernon before. I think you're going to end up with a lower uh, pass run ratio than other teams because of that. And there'll be chances for stand back, but uh, the two guys that are bordering on six yards of carry are, are Wilder and stand back. And it's uh, yeah. Wilder's he's, he's different, man. He's, he's, he's a good dude, uh, but he's, he's not everybody's cup of tea. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, again, I don't say that as, you know, oh, I, I don't like him because he has energy and enthusiasm. And like, I hate the idea of criticizing somebody for being themselves. And I've felt at times in the past, like that was what he wanted to do more than to run the rock hard. I don't mm. feel, I don't feel that way this year. He can be whatever the hell he wants to be this year. If you keep playing like this, go crazy, man. Do your thing. So uh, exactly. I want to say thank you as always, as we wrap up to Sada City Brewing Company, offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. You can visit their website, sodacitybeer.com. Check out their wide variety of brews and learn more about all things Sada City Brewing by going to our YouTube channel and watching the uh, Sada City Happy Hour tastings. This week, we are going to be sitting down and enjoying the Big Pink. It is a, uh, it's kind of like this mixture between like a, a grape ale. It's kind of like a wine with a beer with a, I don't really know what it is. That's why I'm going to sit down with Sam Corbet, who's the brewmaster of Sada City and ask him, Hey, what the hell did you do? What is this thing that is sitting in my cup right now? But we'll enjoy that for you. It'll be on YouTube. You can check it out there as always check out everything DT is doing. Are you working at all the rest of the week? You just getting set for the banjo bowl. Uh, sports cage Thursday off to Good. Winnipeg on Friday game on Saturday. And then, uh, yeah, just enjoy the Canada's most beautiful city, as I once called it on Sports Center, Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> or as Jay Onright once called it when everybody thought that he was hammered doing Sports Center with Darren Detition, Manitoba. Uh, I believe, I, I believe it was, <laughs> and then he came back from the next break and said, I swear I haven't been drinking, please. Anybody who's wondering, I promise you, I have not been, but, uh, yeah, it should be a lot of, it's crazy how fast it's come up again, Hamilton, Toronto on Friday. And then we've got ourselves a super Saturday. It is of course, mm. Saskatchewan going up against Winnipeg. It is Calgary going up against Edmonton and then BC and Ottawa. <laughs> uh, mm. that, that's going to be the late night, uh, cap and how fun it would be for Mike Benavides to go back as defensive coordinator of Ottawa into a place where he was once a head coach in BC and be able to get the, uh, the late night victory. I don't know how many TVs will be tuned in for the extremely late after nine hours of football uh, extravaganza out there on the Pacific coast, but it should be a very fun weekend. Uh, who is your, the one player you're keeping your eye on just on the way out here, DT going into this weekend that you'd really love to see jump out and be a headliner. That's a great question. Uh, I, I'm going to be keeping my eye on Dominic Davis in that late game because it looks like he's going to get the start. Yep. And 
We saw that movie in 2019, and it was not great, but he had a top five game in 2019 at quarterback. So anything could happen when Dominic Davis is at quarterback. So so uh, that's one. Uh, honestly, in, in my game, it's Cody Fajardo. Yeah. How will he bounce back from how uncomfortable he looked? And, and he said his worst game ever as a pro. How will he bounce back from that? How will Jason Moss help him bounce back from that? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I'm down with that. And for me, I would say the two players that I'm looking at in this one, one is if Bo comes back, I'm interested to see what he looks like clearly, because I think Calgary's out of it just like you do, but I want to see how quickly he can get back into a rhythm because he wasn't in a great rhythm to start the year in all honesty. Like, yeah. So that was a little bit strange. And then um, the other one is in that same game. And I understand that, you know, you might be saying, guys, this is not the marquee matchup necessarily. Hamilton against Toronto is going to be fun on, on Friday night. I want to see Evans and Arbuckle chapter two and all that good stuff. But Michael Riley looked before the rain started to come down. when I was calling that game in week four, really good. Like he was slinging the ball. He was throwing a 50 yard, nice tight spiral. All that gets a bye week gets to refresh himself, gets that same Ottawa team coming in. Now you're essentially indoors, even if they have the, you know, the roof open, whatever at BC place, but you get yourself back on the turf. You get to throw it around. Burnham's legs are fresh. It's like, to me, this is an equation where Riley could have himself a really big game, whether it be for fantasy or prop bets, whatever people have got going on. I don't do any of that stuff. So I just, I like watching it and trying to figure out, you know, what he's going to look like. I think Riley feels like this could be a really big game for him. And again, it's if, if Riley and the Lions get up a little bit and Dominique Davis has to start throwing, Ottawa is one of only three teams in the CFL this year to run a six wide receiver package at any point in a game, six wide empty, no running backs, no fullbacks. And I wonder whether or not Lapo just says, screw it. Let's just, we're just, <laughs> let's empty this. We're going to go four by two, five by one, three by th- whatever we have to do. And we're just going to let Dominique Davis throw it around because he's either going to prove that he can move us down the field, score points and stay with the BC lions. Unlike we, you know, we, we couldn't do in week four, or we're just going to sink. And if we just sink, then, yeah. you know, we'll trade for Masoli, we'll trade for Mayer, we'll, whatever. We'll have to figure out something else. But this might be kind of a, a show-me game, if you will, a, bit, a little bit of a prove-me game uh, for Dominique Davis, uh, if Riley gets himself going the way that I think he will. But uh, looking forward to the great weekend. Hope that you are enjoying yourself throughout the CFL season. Thank you again to Fox 40 Solace City for hopping on and helping us out and keeping this thing going in season. Continue to download, subscribe, tell your friends all the rest. Check out DT on the Sports Cage on Thursday. Listen to him on 620 CKRM coming up on Saturday. Call the Banjo Bowl. We'll send out that link, as we always do, from our CFP accounts. And follow us on social at CF Perspective, Canadian Football Perspective. Redistribution of this broadcast is not to be written, used. <laughs> there you go. That's how you have to sign off, right? You got to do the old NFL films. Got to sign off with the, uh, the legal disclaimer. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you coming up next week right here on The Breakdown.